Please be advised that in order to foster quality discussions in each episode, we will spoil the stories in each game and text we talk about. Good news is, 90% of the titles we cover are old enough that many of you might already know all about them. That said, we do encourage you to play and read before listening. Hey everybody, it's Bryce. Just wanted to add a little note to the front of this episode. I know I included it in the, in the brief update I posted a few weeks back, but I just wanted to apologize for the weird sound quality of my voice in this one and ask you all to stick through it, as the conversation is still pretty cool and has some nice little fun facts about Raymond Chandler and noir stories along the way. To reframe the recording situation, basically, Caleb already had a studio set up for the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast, which we used for the first three episodes of Arcade Bookshop. Then I got a USB mic to begin recording from my house with Caleb remotely, and all my tests beforehand went totally fine, sounded great. But something with the recording, uh, recording it remotely with a video chat screwed it up, and it caused my microphone to top out and crackle super badly, which I didn't have in any of my tests before I started recording. But this is the only episode I used that mic on before I returned it to Amazon, so... No worries at all about future episodes. They should all sound totally great going forward. So I'm really sorry about the bad quality of my voice today, but Caleb's voice still sounds top-notch and sexy. So I hope you all still listen and enjoy our conversation about Blackmailers Don't Shoot by Raymond Chandler. This is a gun, buddy. It goes boom, boom, and guys fall down. Want to try it? Listen here, I'm not a big fan of guns that go boom, boom. I'm more of a dancing kind of guy, and maybe we should do the waltz together. <laughs> That's what you got? <laughs> I don't know. I can't. <laughs> so I wasn't expecting that one. That was a little taste. A little taste My of Raymond Chandler. Chan- yeah. Uh, yeah. Some Raymond Chandler from this week. <laughs> uh, we'll read a couple read, lines uh, later on. How about that? Yeah. We, this this week's story is Blackmailers Don't Shoot by Raymond Chandler. We'll go a little bit more into that. Also, we uh we were just talking a minute ago about how we're goo men. We're goo men. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb and I took a little visit to Columbus, Ohio together this, this past weekend and or last weekend. We visited a lovely little store that I had been to for my first time called the Bookloft in German Village. And uh, on our way there, this is a, this is a whole day of, of tales we have. <laughs> Get going on our way there. I know where this is going. <laughs> Caleb's just telling me all about Columbus, all about Ohio. All about how as soon as you get there, everyone's awful at driving. No offense to any of you Ohio drivers who are very deliberate and careful drivers, but uh, gotta say, as soon as we entered the city limits, a baby mattress just flew right under my car. <laughs> Not even a regular mattress, a baby mattress. Thank goodness there wasn't a baby on the mattress. That would have been a whole other. Escapade. Thank goodness, and thank goodness it was a baby mattress because if it was a full size mattress. I don't think it would have. I don't think we would have survived that. No, I, it would have. It would have crushed our bodies as well as our spirits. Yeah. 
I think it. I think it straddled. I think my car straddled right over the mattress, hooked hooked it up, and then spat it out a few minutes later into some other I, poor, poor soul. Yeah, that was <laughs> almost wrecked somebody else. <laughs> the that mattress just that just terrible... keeps on giving. I want to talk about boom boom <laughs> and goo. Well, uh, that the mattress is a preface to our our goo experience. <laughs> that does not sound good. It doesn't sound good, but it was really good. <laughs> Caleb introduced me to Ethiopian food. The goo we're referencing is are the are the uh, lovely stews all over the what what's that what's that bread stuff called? I forget. I always forget the name of it. It's like a big pancake. Yeah, it's really good. They're almost like uh, it's almost like crumpet bread. Kind it, of. Yeah, it's very porous and it's delicious, but it's super yeah. filling and. Uh, the goo is not really goo. There's a couple of them that could be consistency of goo, but most of it, yeah, <laughs> just stews and different vegetables. But they are all awesome. I didn't. There wasn't one I didn't like, and there was what ten of them. Yeah, there were like some curry type things. There was like a cream corn one. Uh, one was just like, like smoky sautéed peppers and stuff. But uh, and there's a lot. A lot of it was like bean based, but ooh, that was good. My carrot was slushy wasn't the best. Yeah. I got a smoothie on the... I let the, the chef's recommendation of a smoothie, uh, mainly because I didn't really understand what she asked me. So I said, you pick. You pick the smoothie. And she came out with a, a like a carrot slurry. Just <laughs> <laughs> like crunchy, chopped up carrots and I think mango maybe, but it just tasted like carrots. It wasn't the best. <laughs> it wasn't that refreshing. I, if there were flavors on the menu, I, I would never have said, just pick one yourself. There was nothing on the menu. It just said smoothie. And she said, what kind do you want? I was like, I don't know. What do you have? And I didn't understand what she said. So I said, you pick. Go ahead. (laughs) Your judgment is probably best. So she went back and told the chef, hey, give them the old carrots we're trying to throw away. Just dump in the excess of whatever you're making the the, the stews with. (laughs) We'll call that a smoothie. (laughs) Wasn't the worst I've ever had. I've been doing Orange Julius and had a couple bad ones. I don't know if I've had a bad drink at Orange Julius. I just named it. That was literally the only smoothie place I could think of. I I don't go to smoothie (laughs) places too often. I'm uh, not a big... I like smoothies. I make them at home. But uh, on the road, I'm not spending $20 on a smoothie. That's outrageous. Yeah. Preposterous. But our our main destination of the day was the Bookloft in German Village, which was probably the coolest bookstore I've been to. They, they, They only have new books, right? It's not used. Any, anything? No, I think everything's brand new, but they do have a lot of sales. Yeah. And if there was used stuff, yeah. it would be the outside stuff. But I think that's just overstock. Yeah. But it, they had such a cool selection. And I always say, like, the marking of a really great bookstore is how how uh, eclectic their poetry selection is. And it was great. I found several things that I had been looking for for months. I couldn't find anywhere else. You know, like Barnes and Noble has a decent selection, but it's all kind of like regular stuff or like super classics. Like, so you see a lot of like Rupi Kaur and and you know like Walt Whitman, uh, like Charles Bukowski. You know, the regular stuff. Yeah. To be fair, well, yeah, you did pick know, up really... you did pick up quite a few volumes of Rupi Kaur. <laughs> Not by my own uh, volition. <laughs> <laughs> You you were very uh, skilled at forcing those into my stack. <laughs> well, when we went, 
for those who haven't been to the book loft in Columbus, Ohio, Ohio, as Bryce said, it's highly recommended. We stood in line for 30 minutes to get into the place, if that tells you anything. You know, like, mm-hmm. how many bookstores do you wait in line? But it's set up almost like a maze. They have an actual floor map they give you when you walk in. It's huge. And we probably spent an hour, hour and a half on just one side of the building. But they do post, or um, they have end caps where they'll have just, like, random popular books spread throughout. And Ruby Car was, like, on one, like, at least one Ruby Car <laughs> book was on every one of those. So every time we walked past, I would just pick one and hand it to Bryce. Like, I found something really cool for him to get. Like, God damn it, I don't want this. <laughs> how many times yeah, you, place- is, how many times are we gonna find milk and honey on a shelf <laughs> damn it milk and honey <laughs> so stupid. that place is really cool they, they have 32 rooms and you hear 32 rooms and you think of like a mansion but it's like a it's a big place but it's but all the rooms are very small and uh yeah like caleb said it's like a maze um <laughs> to the to the point that like you, it sometimes it seems like the uh the exits um disappear at times we had a house and, of leaves uh, moment that was kind of frightening <laughs> yeah that was terrifying i it, yet the claustrophobia sets in you're like the exit the, the the place we came in at is no longer there and uh so we turned around and we're like wait a second that's definitely where we came from <laughs> and we turned back around and there it was again and it <laughs> but uh that aside the it was just, it was a really cool store. I came home with like five or six new books and uh, most of them are at least like 5% off, which isn't that great, but I got some other cool stuff that was like half off and uh, I never come home from a bookstore with that many books. So it's really I, I hard to go like in there and not come out with a hundred dollars worth of books. Yeah. Well, I only spent like 65 bucks for, and for like five or six books, that's pretty, that's not too bad. Mm-mm. I mean, considering usually a book costs like $15 yeah. at least. Well, they always have but stuff on sale or at least a percentage off. And I'm sure if you live in the area and go there often, they probably have some either a card program or, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of frequent bu- uh, buyer thing. Yeah. But we digress. Welcome to Arcade Bookshop, where we talk about video games and their literary counterparts for all of you who love to play and to read. This week we're talking about uh, Raymond Chandler's short story "Blackmailers Don't Shoot." So, Kayla, why did we choose this book? Well, I don't know about you, but was this my idea? It might have been my idea. Uh, because oh, it's we, not a book; it's a short story. Excuse me. Short story. Uh, you can read it in within an hour, I would think. I think that's how long it took me. I don't remember, but uh, sorry, I, I get in the habit when I read these kind of things. I want to talk real fast and wear my pants up around my nipples. <laughs> old timey detectives, uh, the old private dicks. Uh, if you, which I don't know why you wouldn't, uh, listen to the Deja Vu episode, which is a old school noir story. We had to come up with a old school noir story to go along with the video game story. And who better than Raymond Chandler, one of the greatest noir writers of American noir, I guess? <laughs> yeah. So he's like one of the, he's basically one of the fathers of. Crime noir, or the Godfather, or if you will, or the Godson, maybe. I read. I actually read that. I think I was going to talk about this later, but I actually read that he was inspired by a couple other people who were really like the father, like the pioneers of the the genre. The old Speaking pulp writers. Later, yeah, we'll but, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, it, it basically. I mean, de, the, if you listen to Deja, the Deja Vu episode, it's it's a pretty simple story, but it's basically about blackmail and. uh 
and some memory loss. So this one follows the blackmail thing. And the memory loss. Mostly. It's just not the protag- protagonist that has the memory loss. Yeah, I don't remember. Well, Did I totally missed that. Um, you know, go over. You know, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it when we do the story breakdown. But yeah, we we also thought it was cool to choose a sh- short story, or I thought it was cool to choose a sh- short story since uh, since Deja Vu was so simple and short. It took us like well, it took me like five hours, but it, it really it's really only like a two hour game. Um, so we don't want to pretend that it's this big complex substance of a video game when it's it's really just about the the puzzle and i think that's that's along the lines of what this story is about and it's also uh his the first story ever published so it uh it turned out i think to be a little bit more complex than i expected but still not all that complex do you agree i wouldn't say it's very complex at all well, I'm so glad that we are on the same page about this story, Caleb. I will say that I didn't solve the mystery like beforehand, though I wasn't really trying to, mm. but often when I read yeah. these kind of things, you saw, you know, I just tend to solve the mystery. I did not have that with this, but I don't know, that might have just been due to the writing style of this one cuz this was his first short story, so it wasn't quite polished like he is in later works. Right. And I've never read anything else by him, but um I, I felt similarly. So to go over, the, the, the give a synopsis of the story, you can jump in whenever you want because I'm probably not going to do it very well. But basically it's about this uh, private detective who uh, it starts out that he is he is actually blackmailing another woman, Rhonda Farr, and uh, the main character's name is Mallory. And um, He's blackmailing a famous Hollywood actress. Right, right. And they get involved with some, I guess they're like dirty cops and, and some like mobster type people. And uh, it, it's very confusing, but, and just, we're going to spoil stuff for the sake of uh, getting to an analysis of a whole short story because it's kind of hard not to spoil things. But so, a spoiler word. We should do a spoiler warning for every single episode of Arcade Bookshop yeah, we, because that's kind of I, the point of the show. Right. I I intend to do that. Uh, no, I haven't gotten there yet. But <laughs> maybe yeah, just a spoiler warning intro for every, if you hear it on this one. That means Bryce went ahead and did it. <laughs> right. So yeah, there, there's a, a this blackmail involving like love letters to some other guy and she's denying that they're real or authentic and I don't know I had a hard time it's it's hard for me to even summarize it because I had a hard time understanding what was really going on and do you agree I felt there were and this will go into the analysis I'm not gonna break it down too much but there are way too many characters introduced for a short story uh there was a lot of back and forth going on in the way this was written I often felt especially at the beginning of the story I didn't quite know who I was following. It's like, is this Mallory or is this the crooked cop or who's beating up who? Mm. What, what's happening? And uh, then once we get into uh, the mobster stuff, and these are all low rent mob guys. These aren't like high end. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're rich, but it's not like his later works. You get these big time stories. Other than the Hollywood actress who's real famous, it's not really that big time of a story. It's kind of sleazy, actually, uh, which is probably why it deals with blackmail. Uh, superficially, it's not actually a blackmail story because we find out Mallory is not a blackmailer. He is a private eye. 
But the right. uh, story, the way it unfolds, it is hard to follow at times. And you just kind of have to go with like, okay, now we're going to a random house and there's six more people getting shot and punched and hit. Yeah, It's like, I don't know what's going on, who the bad guy is or what's really happening because they're all kind of bad people, it seems like. Even the detective seems yeah. kind of shitty. Even the the even Rhonda Farr, the actress. She was bad, she, yeah, she sucked. It was, it was interesting. I mean, so like if I gave a synopsis, I, I would just be like, there. I would just say like it's about a guy blackmailing someone and then uh some people want to kill him then he wants to kill some other guys later and then some other guys want to kill him and then it just goes back and forth it's like it's 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 like not a complex story but it's confusing even the so, synopsis on the goodreads is terrible <laughs> yeah um it just says uh <laughs> A black yet oddly tender story of adultery, cruelty, and murder, published posthumously in 1976. Uh, so maybe this well, this is the first. Uh, Wait, I guess they. Met, I think they met that it was published in a collection in 1976. But the first, this was his mm. first short story ever published. Yeah. Often, when these uh, old so, pulp writers passed away, they would get all their works and they would uh, put them in different collections throughout the years. Uh, but they mm -hmm. would always say, oh, first published in whatever year that came out. But no, the stories, if you look into, like, if you look in the book, uh, it'll actually, in, I don't know what collection you had, but in my collection, it'll tell you the date of the story publication, like 1940-something or 30-something. I think it was 1933. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway, uh, the I want to go into the writing style, uh, and we, we kind of already mentioned it, but it's like, it's very simple. It has like this slight attitude that you get from the hard-boiled crime noir genre, but it's really mostly just getting from one scene to the next. It's not all that floral. It's like I mean, probably not at all. It's I mean, you can you can tell that it's his first, and it, might, it probably wasn't his very first story ever, but you could tell it's from early in his career. It's almost paint by the numbers with how it unfolds. Right, right, and it. It's just got like, it's it's a little hard to follow, and it has that like that classic like noir dialogue riddled with innuendo and sarcasm, and uh, which at times made it hard to translate. Like I, <laughs> it yeah. was almost like a the, the the talk from that era, even though it's not all that long ago. It's almost it almost requires a little bit of translating, like mm -hmm. googling to figure out what they actually mean. Um, despite most of it being literal and plain most of the time. You know, this is actually pretty funny. I, I don't know. I, I've talked about, I talked about this uh, with my buddy Spencer because uh, you brought this up that I have a habit every time I have a collection in my hand and I open it up to a random page. It's either really gross or like something. <laughs> like It's just I, I have a habit <laughs> of picking like the best sections. I just open this up randomly. And the first line that came out to me is your introduction line, the boom, boom. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> I just wanted to read a little piece just to give the folks, you know, a feel. Uh, so I'll read the paragraph before because where Raymond Chandler and the noir genre shines is usually the dialogue and the descriptions. You know, you got a lot of guys with mm -hmm. hawk noses and bushy eyebrows and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, he's wider than a car or something like that. So I'll read this real quick. Just because you, it came up in the introduction. I don't know. It's very odd that that happened to come <laughs> up on that. It's page 10 in my collection. The man who held the gun was very big and broad. He had a shapeless felt hat on the back of his head and an indistinct overcoat hung away from his stomach. 
Dim light from a high-up, narrow window outlined bushy eyebrows, a hooked nose. There was another man behind him. He said, this is a gun, buddy. It goes boom, boom, and guys fall down. Want to try it? Mallory looked at him mentally and said, grow up. <laughs> grow up flatty. What's the act? Uh, there was a lot of that dialogue. I didn't understand what it was supposed to mean. Um, but it's funny because like how I just mentioned a hook nose and broad shoulder, whatever, like the bushy eyebrows. I did not read this before I said that. And that's exactly oh. what comes up because this is, like I said, not just the actions very paint by the numbers, but the writing. This was the most basic. And maybe it was just because he was an early creator of the genre. But the writing is so basic that every stereotype or uh, cliche I could think of in my head is in like every page of this. Like just all the descriptions. Right. And they're not very, um, they're, I wouldn't even say extensive. They're just not very good. Like he's just big and broad. Like that's not very creative at all. Uh, like the hawk nose and the bushy eyebrows. It's not a very creative detail, especially because I feel like that came up multiple times in the story. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the history of this, but when you know how there's like a lot, like tons and tons of genre fiction now. Do, uh, do you know when that started? Like, because it seemed. I mean, I, I'd imagine before. I imagine for a long time it, it was just like like writing was writing, and then it must have at some point started to like categorize and and uh, split up. And I, I was wondering if, like, maybe it almost seems like this is one of the first times of that happening. <laughs> and uh, they started to realize, like, this this is a thing that that that, that uh, we need for the zeitgeist. And but they didn't really know. It's, it's kind of like a simple idea. So they all started kind of doing it the same way, talking about things in similar way, because it's all it's like the settings are always very along the same lines and the characters are always mm -hmm. like you said they always describe them very similarly types yeah and so yeah so i don't know i mean maybe i'm thinking too hard but well in the, uh, the like the specific genres really started uh in the 20s and 30s in the u.s uh because if you go back to the 1800s we had like the penny dreadfuls and you had a lot of gothic literature was coming out in those and a lot of them were terrible some were good uh, but in the 1920s and 30s, especially when the Depression started, it was almost a resurgence of, like, you know, the real cheap garbage, uh, they, they called them the pulp books, you know, because they were made of, like, recycled pulp, terrible paper. But um, you that's when the genre st stuff started kicking off. So you had your westerns, you had your, um, I, I'm trying to think of some actual specific titles, like eerie, creepy, weird, um... Some of those might not be. I know Erie's one, uh, but they had, like, they would publish. The horror stories were big. Um, I wish I could, because I watched a documentary on this years ago. I wish I could remember the publisher, but they actually, it might have been in the late 40s or 50s where there was a crackdown on, um, it was like a censorship deal that happened where they started cracking down on what you can have in those kind of books. So all the horror stories became real watered down. The crime noir stuff mm. became real watered down. And uh, they, I think that's when you had, like, the Westerns had more of a resurgence in the 50s again. But uh, regardless, so you had Raymond Chandler, um, Robert E. Howard, H.P. Lovecraft. These guys made their money in the pulp market, so they were writing stories weekly and getting paid probably not very much. 
Uh, so they had to constantly put out work. And when you're writing that style, it has to be formulaic because you need to get it to the printer as quickly as possible. So a lot of these guys, their editors shaped their style of writing. So they wrote however they wrote. Mm. You take Robert E. Howard, for example, he has a very specific specific writing style, but then the editor comes in and is like, hey, we need to hit all these beats in this story. We need to have the story set in, you know, whatever setting the Conan universe is set in, and it has to be familiar. So you get a lot of stories where the descriptions, if you read the collections like the Conan collection or these Robert E. Howard noir collections, a lot of the descriptions are the same or similar throughout because it's formulaic. He has to get these out real quick. You don't have a lot of time yeah. to come up with very creative stuff. So you get this, like how I said before, a paint by the numbers. It is paint by the numbers because you need to get the work out there. So you have to get the story done as quickly as possible, keep it entertaining, but it's supposed to be a fluff read. It's not supposed to be something mm-hmm. you um, read deeply or get something from. It's just supposed to be a fun story. The detective genre is probably a little more complicated because you have to have a mystery. So that's probably harder to write, uh, but at least the language could be even cheaper than the fantasy or the sci-fi stuff. So when you get a Raymond Chandler, he could have these very basic descriptions, but because the action and the pacing is so fast, you don't mind. You just can read through it. Um, so, yeah, that was the history, though, of like the pulp stuff is these guys are writing weekly stories. And that's how they make, you know, not even just make a living just to get by. Um because none of them were doing very well. I don't know Raymond Chandler's history. I think uh, he was one of the few that actually broke out into novels. So he had the uh, Philip Morrow, which is the this Mallory character seems to be a precursor to him because he's written the same way. You know, the smart. Yeah, and actually, they did an episode of. Uh, oh, I forget what the show was called, but uh, but they they actually made an episode of whatever it was where uh, they used this story. And it w- and the main character was Philip Marlowe instead of Mallory. Oh, so the, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, that's basically how it came to be. He was able to break out and do novels, and he became a serialized novelist. Which I don't know if the original novel novels were published in magazines. A lot of times that was the case. I never really looked into it too uh, hard, but um, I think because you had the same thing with Ian Fleming's James Bond, the spy detective genre, uh. Stuff yeah. like that, it was always fun. It's just, uh, they all kind of read the same. Robert E. Howard was probably the outlier where he was the most literary. Outside of H.P. Lovecraft, but he was like so dense that it was like garbage, you know? Not garbage, but just not an enjoyable read. Uh, purple prose, if you will. Robert E. Howard, though, he had the, the fine line of he could be literary, but still have the entertainment value that you want. And Raymond Chandler does hit those notes when he gets to the novels. We read The Big Sleep and... It was written a lot better than this one was. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because while this story was fun to read in a lot of ways, I, I just I, I was very aware that it was. I mean, I, I probably did it to myself because I knew ahead of time that it was his first story ever, but I was very aware of that. I just it just really felt like someone's first story, or one of their early stories. So I was going to ask you how, how the Big Sleep compared to it. Yeah, the the Big Sleep's very uh, polished. But even though I remember when we covered the episode on my podcast, it was a, uh, I think it was one of those things where there's a few parts where like, I don't really know what's happening, or I don't know who's mm. speaking, or I don't know who's doing, like, performing the action right here. And that probably just comes down to, one, uh, he's probably on a deadline again, but mainly I think it's because he has so many characters involved and the action's so fast-paced, it's probably hard to follow. Even when you watch some of the old noir movies, you get lost in them, and they're not complex stories but 
just the way it unravels, you'd be like, wait, who's that guy again? What's he doing here? I thought he was dead. What the fuck's happening? So you get that a lot, but when you read that in written form, it sucks because then you're really lost. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely felt felt that way in the story. Did um, you happen in your research find how old Raymond Chandler was when this story was published? Like his first story? I think I did, but let me see. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I think he was in his 30s. Uh, I I I found out that he was in World War One from twenty nine to thirty one, like age twenty nine to thirty one. So it was sometime after that because because the noir and hard boiled detective genre didn't come around until after World War Two, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, he must have been in his thirties or forties, I would guess. But real quick, you mentioned you mentioned that these guys probably didn't. Um, make much off these stories but i did find that raymond chandler sold this story got this story published and was paid 180 dollars for his very first story and uh for those of you that uh don't feel like researching the conversion rate from 1933 to now that would be about four thousand dollars for a short story and and also if you you guys don't know it's hard to get a short story published, let alone get paid for it, let alone make more than five or ten dollars today. To put but if that... I made one hundred eighty dollars off of anything, <laughs> yeah. that would be, be awesome. the best day of my life. Uh, to put that in even more context, there was a, there were a lot of novelists at the time that would be lucky to get four thousand dollars for a novel, let alone a short oh, for story. Real? Yeah, they didn't get paid yeah. a lot. Uh, your Hemingways and your Joyces and your Fitzgeralds did. But when it came to just a regular novelist, you weren't getting a lot of money because yeah. people just, well, I mean, novelists were, it was more difficult because mainly it was more of the academic and high society crowd that, uh, that read that stuff. But even like the pulp stuff, you know, what did a pulp magazine cost back then? Like a penny, maybe a nickel. So yeah. you're going to pay Probably. a guy $4,000 and the magazine sells for <laughs> five cents. That's not a good deal. <laughs> That's terrible. Right. Yeah, that's just I, I that was remarkable to me. There's actually I, I also found out that there's a difference between you probably know this already, but I found out there's a difference between uh like crime noir and a hard boiled detective. And I think the difference is that crime noir, of course I didn't uh keep my notes about on this here, but uh I think crime noir generally is expected that it's just going to be dark. Everyone is going to be shady. And at the end, you're not guaranteed a happy ending. Yep. And, that sums uh, it up pretty uh, succinctly. <laughs> While like the hardball detective genre, separate from this, you can typically expect that the hero is going to come out clean at the end. Like there's, there, you're, you're pretty much promise something happy at the end I, I think that's correct yeah it's more of a well one the mystery gets solved cleanly and uh it's more yeah. of a not a happy ending always but yeah there's like a usually the good guy does okay or he gets the girl mm-hmm. or something along those lines whereas the crime noir you think of like and i know this is we getting a little confusing because we have the cyberpunk noirs and stuff but you like your blade runners uh ambiguous ending you get your um 
Even Chinatown, I don't know if that's considered a noir, but that did not have a clean ending. Uh, most of the noirs I watch don't have a clean break at the end where it's just like, everything's happy and we go away, you know, yeah. mystery solved. No, it's usually like, oh, we solved the mystery, but everyone died. <laughs> so that wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, like this story, the uh, you're kind of left with, you get the information that Mallory isn't actually the blackmailer so he's like he's like your hero but at the same time you're left with this feeling like he's he doesn't really care about anything he's just trying to get his ten thousand dollars or whatever he was promised and you know it's interesting that raymond chandler went that route maybe it was because he was uh you know first i just looked it up by the way of how he got into that uh, into writing he he did not he wasn't a writer he just was uh, I think a mm-hmm. drunk and he just was on hard yeah. times and wanted to make money so he started writing these stories so it might explain why he introduces our character as a villain our our potential hero and doesn't reveal that he's the hero until some pages later uh, it might have even been a good while from what I remember like 10-15 pages later before you find out oh he's not actually a blackmailer he's a detective yeah. Was it halfway that you yeah. find out he's actual detective or more than halfway? I forget. It might be it might be more than halfway cuz like I I went into it expecting that he was, assuming that he was, but I don't think it's it's I think it's like 3 quarters of the way in where he's talking to Rhonda Farr again after he like rescues her. I I think and and he ends up actually or she ends up actually using the term private dick. Yeah. And I was like no way. I told you. I told you. Always private dick. (laughs) It's always the dick. But yeah, uh, he so Raymond Chandler was fired from the Dabney Oil Syndicate, where he was an accountant and eventually vice president, uh, because of alcoholism and not showing up. And uh, that'll do it. After that, the great (laughs) (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Then the Great Depression aggravated his finances, and he resorted to writing. Could like wouldn't that be nice if you could resort to writing? I would love to resort to writing. I need to make some goddamn scratch and uh these publications, they'll publish anyone. Give them four grand for a nice detective story. Yeah. Let me just knock one out real quick. That story was first yeah, published in, <laughs> that story is first published in Black Mask, by the way, and there's no other information on anything about it other than he got paid a lot of money. Like I don't understand I wanna know the backstory real bad. Oh why he got paid such an astronomical amount of money in a random <laughs> I mean, Black Mass was one of the most famous uh, pulp magazines at the time, but they could not have been making that much money to pay a guy four grand. Yeah. Or $180 yeah. I mean, in the third. Right, I was going to say 180 But still, I I don't know. Unless, it, still, I don't know. I, I'd be curious what they actually charge for that magazine. But it couldn't have been more than what you said. I mean, I mean not much more. I don't know if you can find that out. but I'm going to do some looking like, here. Yeah, but it, I mean, if it was as popular, if the genre was as popular as it was at the time, uh, it was definitely at, and still in the early stages. Because um, it was like after the Depression and World War II, uh, I guess this was when people were starting to feel disillusioned and no longer believed in clean, happy endings. That's when people started writing this stuff. And making movies about this stuff, where it was like everyone realized the re- the reality of like the gravity of reality after the war, after a, like a, such a after a war like World War Two was, and 
just like we gotta i don't know it just everything started getting like shadowy and depressing <laughs> that happened in the 70s as well after vietnam if you notice like the movies like taxi driver and stuff mm. everything got really gritty yeah. and awful that seems to follow up war to a degree other than world war Two, where we had um it was a little, I guess it was in the 50s, but we had that brief leave it to beaver era that everyone was very, ha really happy, but it was like artificially happy. Um, yeah. I, I got some information on your black mass price here, though. Okay. I had I had to go by the images and just look at the cover prices. This is very interesting. So in the 1920s, the cover prices on a lot of these magazines, and it has the Canadian cover price for most of them, which is, I don't know why, 25 cents, which means it was probably cheaper in the U.S. That's usually how it goes. And then once we get mm. to the 30s, it drops down to 30, or I mean, drops down to um, 20 cents, and it seems the U.S. price for the most part in the 30s was 15 cents a magazine. So how many magazines do you have to sell to get to $180? That's a lot. <laughs> That's math that I don't know how to do. I feel like Raymond Chandler could have outright bought a house with what he got paid for that short story. Honestly. You know what, Caleb? Go ahead and find out how much a house costs. All right. Back then. Oh, dude. <laughs> a new <laughs> house. Now, if, okay, this might be back then. I'm not sure if it has the conversion. But I'm going to read this. A new house had a price. This is 1933. A new house had a price tag of $3,900, which sounds attainable given that the average income was $1,731 per year. A new set of wheels oh would set God. you back $860. A movie ticket was just $0.25, cents, blah, blah, blah. So let me do the conversion on that um, and see how much Raymond Chandler could have put down on his house, let's say. But that's still, that's well, not a lot of money. Yeah. I was also going to say, it's it's funny that this was one of those, excuse me, one of those eras that uh, got real dark in their content because... The dialogue is still so like, like funny and phony. Like, uh, like while they're trying to get real about shit, mm -hmm. <laughs> they they start with a silly slang, and in the movies they have the Mid Atlantic accents, yeah. and like this whole, <laughs> it's like so unreal, and and like this whole story, everybody is baby, and all the cops are coppers, and you know. <laughs> shit like that but again at <laughs> 1930s i mean other than the other writers at the time this wasn't well established that this is you know this is how we talk in this genre necessarily so they're kind of making it up at the time i mean i'm sure some people were writing you know coppers and baby and all that stuff but it's just like they all came out I was like yeah we'll just this is what works this is what we do uh that was a house in 1933 was seventy one thousand dollars in today's money so Mr. Raymond Chandler had a nice oh, okay. little down payment on it, but he would not have been able to buy a house outright. But still, $4,000 for a story would uh, make my mm. life. I'd be so happy. Um, well, you know what? It sounds like it sounds like he and his wife were kind of sickly. I don't know if you read any of that. Everyone was sickly but, back then. Um, that's probably true. But So he had, I found out that he had eczema so bad, he had to wear gloves to type. Ooh, really? Yeah, he also was it the chronic drinking? <laughs> Probably, <laughs> just well, straight liquor all the time. Not even yeah. beer, just liquor. <laughs> he probably just drank bathtub gin. You have to remember, this was like prohibition yeah. was the twenties when he was drinking hard. So he came of age during <laughs> bathtub gin and bootleg whiskey. Who knows what they made that shit with? Right, turpentine. <laughs> 
<laughs> Gross. <laughs> yeah, and he ended up dying of pneumonia. And then his literary agent inherited his estate. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, I forget what was wrong with his wife. I didn't write it down, but she had issues for a long time, it sounds like. She was married to Raymond Chandler. It'll, that might do it. I guess we can break into whatever analysis of the story that we can, uh, whatever is actually possible. Uh, but we already said, but my first note in the analysis that I had a hard time, I just couldn't figure out. I, I don't think I fully understood what happened until I read the synopsis. <laughs> like not the synopsis, but like the summary of the whole story. <laughs> like, did you get the letter thing? So he threatens her with these letters that exposes an affair she had with a like a well-to-do was he a lawyer or something? But then he ended up becoming like a petty crim, not a petty criminal, but like a petty mobster kind of guy, like a wannabe mobster. Mm -hmm. So if she was found out to be in love with this fella. Her career would be ruined because it's not a good look. Something, something, flappers and dresses, I don't know. There was a fight with a little uh, Spanish guy at the bar at the beginning I really enjoyed. But then anyway, we got the, the worst, the most dickhead cop there ever was who ever existed was in this story. I hated every moment until he got shot to death. <laughs> he was just such a jerk. I forget his name, but he was a jerk. I don't even know if he had a name. He might have just been copper, but he was a McDonald? jerk. It might have been was McDonald. McDonald? Just an angry Irish asshole. But he... Uh, yeah. You had the crooked cops. There was so much going on, but essentially it you get the... Remember when I said about the memory loss? I think there was a scene in the house where the girls were drugged, and they supposedly couldn't remember what happened, so uh, Mallory couldn't get in trouble with the cops, but then the cops find out he's a private dick, so they, like the good cops, I guess, the detectives, oh, they, they, yeah. don't, they don't care anyway or something. But it was because the crooked cops got shot and killed. Well, the one crooked cop got shot and killed in this house. They had to, uh, you know, like Mallory would have gotten in big trouble if he was involved in that. But because the woman, the, she couldn't remember the one lady that was there because she was drugged or drunk or something. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it was kind of confusing how it went down. But then the letters apparently were phony. Uh, then we find out I think the letters were real. Uh, and then the most hilarious scene was, I think, in the house when that lawyer guy or whatever he was that the was in the letters uh, that the actress was in love with supposedly comes in with his tall gangly self and just has a big old shootout with everybody and then he dies <laughs> a cool death and, and it was like what the fuck is the point of all this there was like nothing nothing was solved well it's a noir story yeah. so nobody left happily and Mallory's just like I'm gonna go back to Chicago this place sucks <laughs> well you should have stayed in Chicago <laughs> why'd you come all the way to Chicago for this I forget who hired him, um, <laughs> and he got shot too. I think I think he got hurt, and he was in a on a cane or something at the end. But it just it was very yeah. muddled, and it well, wasn't a very good mystery. I think I don't know if you said this in your explanation just now, but I the uh, well, I read the summary. It sort sort of making sense to me. So I think. So the guy's name who uh, is in the letters that Rhonda supposedly had an affair with is Landry. Yeah. And I think, so I, I think the idea is that Landry hired Mallory to blackmail Rhonda uh, to somehow like scare her into, into being with him, being with Landry again. <laughs> okay. It, I, I think that's basically what it was. 
which like now that I'm saying it doesn't make any fucking sense. But I know that Landry hired Mallory. But it, it's also like the. I I think the problem I had is that everything you hear, you kind of question whether it's true or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, like I think at one point it suggests that Landry hired Mallory. But I was like, I'm so confused because there's multiple copies of these letters. And everybody's lying. <laughs> I just couldn't get the facts straight. And it's not like they had copy machines back then, so somebody wrote all these letters. And I found right. that the writing was just far too clunky at certain parts to really follow what was going on. Like, there was an office shootout at one point where Mallory is seeing this big shot Gambino guy or something, and... Some other guy comes in with a shotgun and blast away, and then he gets shot, and then there's another guy there, but then he's not there. I was like, woohoo! Well, I had no idea what was going on. And then Mallory just ends up yeah. leaving. I was like, okay, this is fucking stupid. I don't know <laughs> what's <laughs> happening or what the point of any of this is. Um, yeah. It just, it was, uh, it was just like, yeah, very first story. And honestly, if this came out today, nobody would publish it other than like some random online mm -hmm. literary place. Like no respectable journal would publish, like a crime journal would publish this story because it's just not that good. I, to be fair, right. I gave it a three out of five um, because it was still entertaining. There was still action. I liked the action. So I still liked it enough. But if I didn't know this was Raymond Chandler and I read this, I'd be like, that's poop. I'm not a fan of that too much. <laughs> yeah. Won't read any more of that guy's work. You'll never be anybody. Right. Never make $180 off of this story. Yeah. I'd probably get, I'd rate it around the same, like two and a half, three, because it just, like, I, I was having fun with it at first. And then the longer it went on, I, I didn't even realize how long it was at first until I got a few pages in and I checked it. But like, well, like, so I, I read it to be fair. I read it from, uh, for free on the internet. I don't know. So my pages were, it was like 30, like eight by 11, eight and a half by 11 pages. So yours is probably like 60 pages. 55. Yeah. So if that story came out today, they wouldn't let it be half that length. No, it didn't need to be. Could have cut out whole scenes and it would have been fine. Yeah. Well, it sucks because the way it opened, because when you first met or I first told you I started reading it, I was really enjoying the opening. Like, it was just action-packed, yeah. it was fun, it had all the noir stuff I liked, and then it just slowly devolved into just like, oh, what happens next? Let's see, they should go to a house and <laughs> people should get shot. It felt like Raymond Chandler was just kind of winging it. I don't think he really mm -hmm. uh, had a plan for this story too much. Even, like, the actual mystery that was getting solved really wasn't a mystery. It was like, at the beginning, you find out kind of what happens. It's like, oh, the letters are real, <laughs> yeah. that's it, well, solved, mystery over. And I think Mallory mostly yeah. understood that it was like he had the information. So I don't know what he was doing. Yeah. And then like you, yeah, it was about like halfway or a little over halfway through the story was over and it just kept on fucking going. Yeah. <laughs> More people kept getting I, I, I shot remember, for no reason. Yeah. I remember feeling like, like there was already a shootout. We already know what the letters are about and where they came from. Um, I think. And then, uh, so like the, like all these key points, like key events already happened, and I was reading it, and I was like into it, and it was starting to wind down, and then I realized that I was only on, I was only like 
halfway or three quarters of the way through, and I was like, oh my god, he's, he's going to keep talking. Yeah. I, <laughs> yep. And then there was another shootout, and more conversations with Ronda Farr, and then there's that weird thing that I probably happens in all these where he kisses her for no apparent reason. Didn't make any sense why he kissed her. Didn't even like her. And then you know what else yeah. I didn't understand? Or why she would kiss him back. And what else I didn't understand is why there were so many like hatchet-faced gingers. Like I swear at the beginning of this, like five different guys were just all, they had the same descriptions. They were just all these older redhead guys, slightly receding oh, really? hair. Yeah, because there was the guy that was... That. Like the 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 McDonald cop, I'm pretty sure it was a Ronald McDonald. He had a fucking, I think he was a redhead, which <laughs> makes sense, I guess, if he's Irish. Uh, when they were in the first house or safe house office den gambling place, I don't know. They're playing. Some guys were playing poker. You're made to believe they're big shots, but I didn't know what was happening. And then somebody got shot, and I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. And then there was just this old redhead guy in the corner that just looked angry. He looked angrily. Throughout the whole book, like they would keep coming back there, and it's like, oh, the redhead guy's angry in the corner. Like, who is the redhead guy? What is his purpose here? Why is he angry? Is it did he get shot? Is he tied up? What he's just laying in the corner all the time. Yeah, he's just angry. He was that. Yeah, he was that one that didn't have a name, right? He was. Yeah, they, he's just a he redhead. Like got fuck. tied up, and then you found him again later in the book or later in the story. Still angry looking. And he still didn't have a name. Yeah, <laughs> still tied up, but he served no purpose, and he just kept coming up. And I was right. like, "Why? Why?" Yeah. There were so many there people were... that had red hair. There's not that many gingers in California. It's hot. And like you said, just too many people. Just like too many for a short story. But I mean, I think every room he went it. into had five characters that had descriptions. Yeah, it was not necessary to have that many people in every single scene. Right. So I didn't. I didn't fully enjoy it. Uh, coming from 2023, but even though we're rating it what we are, I wouldn't turn every, turn anyone off from it. I guess because it's still kind of cool to read it for historical context. I think, and like, and also to see how, it, like, if you get into someone like Raymond Chandler or any of the other people, like, I think the, pe- the guys who he 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 was inspired by were. Uh, I have their names. Um, James M. Kane and Dashiell Hammett. I know Dashiell Hammett, um, but I don't know the Kane. Yeah, I think Kane is the big one, like the main pioneer of the genre. Never heard of him. So, yeah, you know, it's just it's just cool to like. It'd be interesting to see like what they're writing at the same time that he's writing this, yeah. being inspired by them. But it's still worth reading. It's like it's still fun to read, regardless of. Because you know, it be, because we know it's like a pulp story, yeah, and it's not supposed to have this great deep meaning. Uh, it's just I don't know. It's it, we, we we've all watched stuff like this if we haven't already read stuff like this, and it's just it was just something fun to read to go, and it it was very fitting for yeah. Uh, after playing Deja Vu, well, when you read this story or any of these stories, really, you have to remember the audience at the time that was reading these stories. Who was buying yeah. these fifteen cent pulp magazines? Teenagers, maybe young kids were able to get their hands on it, and at best, like young men who maybe weren't big readers. So that's why the language is so basic, why the story is mostly action, why mm-hmm. the plot doesn't really matter too much. It's because the people reading these, uh, even if there were adults reading them, they're probably reading them on their lunch break from the construction job. You know, they were just sitting around uh, because they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have TV really, uh, they had radio, but they probably weren't listening to that at the job site. I would imagine. So, 
the people who were reading these were more of like blue collar guys and probably teenagers, young uh, kids. Yeah, I mean, if you like, if you advertise it, uh, like, 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 if it was a movie, um, and you gave, uh, you listed off the main points of the content of the story, you would be like, hey, this has this has affairs, sex, money, drinking, standoffs, double crosses. That's all stuff that kids want to watch. You know? Yep, it's fun. It's action. <laughs> Right. It's adult, especially if you're a kid and you read this. This is an adult story. It feels like you're reading something you're not supposed to, you know? Yeah, right, right. I have one question that I I don't think I could even figure it out on the internet, but I'm wondering if there's a connect, connection to Deja Vu here. Uh, do you know what Shot of M is? I think that's what they gave the women that were drugged. Shot of but M I out what it, could have been morphine um, or... There was another one that made you like black out, but I can't remember what it is. But I want to say it's probably morphine. I think that was popular during the time, because wasn't that the big thing in World War One? You give people as morphine. Probably should look that up. Might be talking. Yeah, but with that, I don't know what that would. Yes, but I don't know if that would do what it did. And I was wondering because there was an M drug that I I I'm. It just occurred to me as we were talking here that. I think that's the drug that caused the memory loss and deja vu. Yeah. Morphine addiction was very high in the 1930s. Okay. Um, 19, yeah, cause that was a weird name for that drug in the deja vu, but it might have been that. Um, 1930s, memory loss, drugs. Let's see what we got here. Bryce. Alzheimer's, no. <laughs> Crocodile, no. Uh, this is not what I thought it would be. It was probably a made-up drug. There probably was no memory loss drug in the 30s. Yeah. <laughs> you take something called... Me the, there's a the, the, a drug in Deja Vu called Medrazine, but I think that's like an allergy pill. <laughs> Medrazine's... Yeah. Nausea tablets. Allergy, yeah. I'm a, hmm. I just I'll say for argument's sake it was probably morphine if you take enough of it I think you just kind of pass out because well in the context of this yeah. story it wasn't to make her you know any memory loss or deja vu it was but in the context of this story it was just used to basically drug the women or men or whoever they're drugging so they just kind of pass out or, or incapacitated mm -hmm. in general so morphine would obviously do that and it went in uh cause like it's you know it's, it was used for pain relief so it wouldn't cause them any physical pain so it was ideal because then they could just be passed out in the corner somewhere uh because that came up i think in the big sleep and probably a lot of these noir stories it was uh just shoot them up with morphine and then they'll pass out and be done with it um, yeah that makes sense yeah because what need would we have for a memory loss drug in this story not much of one so what need would we have for mm -hmm. morphine and deja vu? Maybe it would make you loopy, and then they could shoot you up with the memory loss drug. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. They did. You did find out in the game exactly what they gave you because that because you had to take the antidote for yeah. that drug. I don't remember what it was. Though. I didn't look it up to see if it was a real drug either. Yeah, I don't think they're. I don't think that game is very uh, scientifically accurate. <laughs> I like the story in that game better than the story in this short story. <laughs> yeah and it was more fun because you got to play it yeah maybe the story would be more which fun. is why which is why video games are cool
Cool, and man. so are books. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else to say about this story? Give it a read if you like Raymond Chandler or crime noir because you get to see the roots of one of the greatest noir writers, but don't think it's going to be something spectacular because it's his first published work. And from a guy who just started writing in his uh, 30s, it's kind of interesting to see how far he came. But I think a lot of writers at the time were just picking up the pen before they were even writers just because they uh, wanted to make money. Didn't care about the craft yeah. or wanting to tell stories. They just wanted to make money. <laughs> and you know what? If it right. made entertaining work, fine. But it's a different look at the world of writing because we always think of artistes, people who uh, craft mm -hmm. these lovingly artistic works for the generations. To no, these guys didn't care about that. They just wanted to make a couple cents. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing to learn that, but it's true. Well. It is what it is. Guys like this in the in the genre uh, area. So stay tuned for our next episode when we'll be talking about the PlayStation One classic, Final Fantasy IX, which is one of my favorite games of all time. And in the episode to follow, we're going to be talking about Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Um, if you're enjoying the show, be sure to follow or subscribe. And as soon as we establish a social media presence. Uh, be sure to follow and watch for us there. Uh, we'll probably have that information in the uh, show notes at, by the time this goes up. And you can look for our playing and reading schedule in the show notes as well, so you can play and read along. Um, if you have any game and book recommendations, we finally got an email set up for the show, so you can shoot us a message at arcadebookshop at gmail.com. Isn't it nice that I got an email, email as clean as that, Caleb? That is pretty professional. I like it. Arcadebookshop at gmail.com. So uh, you can look for that in the show notes. And do you want to tell us about your stuff? If you just like writing in general and want just more book-specific talk, you can check out the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast, which I host. You can uh, follow us at DPW Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hey, why not check us out on YouTube as well? We don't have videos, really, because we don't record the podcast video, but we have the audio on there, which for some reason people like to listen to on YouTube over the podcast apps where we can be found on all of them. But, uh... Yeah, if you want some uh, more book talk, where Bryce has been on there as well, too, by the way, folks, because he is a writer and a poet, and he has read some poetry on my podcast, so you should probably check that out as well. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, Also, just a little note for the for this episode. Uh, Caleb has this great studio at home, and we have he has great equipment, and that's where our first couple episodes were recorded. We're trying out a thing where we're doing it remotely. I got some of my own equipment, but I'm still trying to get uh, more set up here. So if there's any uh, variation in the sound quality, forgive us, but hopefully it sounds great regardless. And uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. Please do yourself a favor. Stick a controller in one hand and your book in the other. 